0: Thank you. <laughs> well good morning everybody. Um, welcome to Epiphany in the church. This is this season. Kind of start Epiphany starts with uh the Magi encountering the Christ child for the first time and having this aha that this is this is God and And we've come to understand this word epiphany is this idea of ahas, that we have these moments where we come to understand and believe something that we didn't know about before. Oftentimes it's a subtle and simple kind of awareness that we come to. So let's just settle ourselves for a minute, and I would just ask that we would just pray together as we just open our hearts. Lord, we trust you in this moment. Lord, we want to be able to position ourselves to be able to hear from you. Or whether it's from something, the words that were spoken or sung this morning or whatever those uh, words are that might resonate in us a little differently, maybe it's something between the words. Maybe it's something that comes from a still small voice that, that we come to understand you in a greater way. That's why we gather here is we want to see you more clearly. We want to hear you more accurately. We want to understand you more completely. Because we know that in somehow, in some way, that when we come to that place of our, our understanding is more clear of your nature and who you are in the world, that things are put right in our life somehow. And so we trust you for that in this moment. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, today the scripture reading in the lectionary comes from the one that jumped out to us is this amazing section in First Corinthians uh, the chapter, 1 Corinthians 13, now it's one of the most famous um, sections of Scripture. It's oftentimes read at weddings and we oftentimes think about it when it comes to love for spouse and, and we listen to those words as they resonate at a wedding ceremony. But we're going to see that as, as appropriate as that is, that Paul has a much grander context for us uh, to understand this today. To rightly understand chapter 13, we've got to put it, in right again, in its context between 12 and 14. Paul is coming, Apostle Paul is coming to this church at Corinth. It's a, it's a vibrant and young, uh, alive church. It's a seaport city, and so it's very cosmopolitan. People from all over the world gather um, in this place, and there's this church that's developing there that Paul um, has much care in his heart for. And it's really, as I thought about it, it's not a lot different than what we experience here at Sanctuary. I am amazed when I um, get to know some of you where you came from. We've got people that come from all over the place here. And I'm also amazed, which is one of the most beautiful things to me, is the unique different spiritual backgrounds um, that you came from. Uh, People that were raised in different kind of church settings, people that weren't exactly even raised in the church. But everybody is gathering here. It's absolutely a beautiful thing. And Paul loves this church, and he wants to help them with some of the stuff that they're struggling with. He starts in chapter 12, and he speaks to that thing that we humans tend to do when we gather together, whether we do this consciously or unconsciously, as we kind of start figuring out who's more important in the room. Um, How do I fit? Am I important? Am I valuable? And Now, this shouldn't be surprising that we struggle with this even today. The disciples struggle with this. You kind of saw them maneuvering for position. As a matter of fact, there's this really amazing little section where a mother steps in. You can only imagine what Jesus is thinking here. And so a mother steps in and, and asks Jesus a question and says, "I just want to see if my boys could one of them be at your right hand and one of them at your left hand. He wanted to make sure that his she wanted to make sure that her boys were going to have a good position in God's kingdom. And so. This is not this unusual thing that we struggle with. Of course, course Paul is talking here about the fact that all people in the body are of equal importance. All of these gifts that he gives are equal. Uh, Whether they're public gifts or not, uh, he's wanting to make that very clear that everybody is in the same place and everybody is of incredibly equal value. And so the... um, the most powerful argument for this, of course, is that he's speaking about gifts. And the very nature of gifts, it's, well, it's, it's a gift. And so if, if who I am and what I'm about is a gift from God, then I shouldn't absolutely be able to boast about that, right? Uh, it's something that was given to me. It's not something that I conjured up and something that I developed. It's something that was actually given to me. And so, so he, he leaves that chapter 12 with this idea that everybody's an important part of the body.
1: And for many of us that have been in the church for a long time, we've heard so much about gifts and, oh, what's your gift? And, oh, they're good in this area and they're good in this area. And, and, you know, one of the things that has really hit me, just as we've talked lately a lot about the idea of community and as I've learned more about community, it's not just your gifts. Your presence is important in the body of Christ. We need you to be you and to be present with this group of people. You know, we have kids that are now living in different cities and we don't—we hardly ever get to all be together in the same place. We have maybe two or three days out of the year that everybody is together in the same place. And we love that we get individual time with the kids. So we've seen some good that has come out of it because when we're in Nashville, we spend time with these kids. When we're here, we spend time with these kids. And we love that individual relationship. But there's nothing like having everybody together under the same roof there's something sweet about us all getting together and going this is my tribe these are my people and these people love me whether they like me right now or not (laughs) they do love me and when you come and you have people here that speak grace and peace over you we want you to know these are your people this is your tribe Now, they may look very different. They may dress in different ways than you do. They may be in another age group or socioeconomic group than you're in. They may vote differently than you do. But we are a tribe of Jesus followers. As different as we are, we are a tribe. And these are people that love you. And this is where you belong. So think about that in terms of When I come, it's not just what I'm receiving. I'm needed here to be a part, even if I came with a bad attitude this morning, even if I've really messed up this week, even if I feel distant from God, or I don't even want to talk to anybody today. Your presence is important for you and for the people around you. You are a part of the Jesus-following tribe. We were on... um, FaceTime this last week with our son and his wife and, and our most incredible granddaughter in the entire good, good, world. Good. I'm not biased. And she's two and a half and she was sitting on the couch between the two of them. And so we were talking to the adults and going on and on. And and she's leaning forward and she's going, Grammy, Grammy, Grammy. And I'm like, What, Lucy? And she goes, Grammy. She points to her mom and dad. These are my people. <laughs> These are your people. <laughs> Sweet.
0: Oh, grandchildren are beautiful. Um, (laughs) Jesus will um, go on in chapter um, 14, or Paul will go on in chapter 14, talk about greater detail, how to implement some of these gifts and how they apply. Uh, But he sticks in this beautiful and curious chapter 13. That he says, you know, I get that you're struggling with these things. How do you implement gifts? How do you operate your services? Those are all important. They're well and good. But in all of that working, in all of that working on how you do life together as a community, uh, don't forget the most important thing. That there's only one thing that actually will move through all of life and all of culture into the ultimate kingdom of God. And it's this one thing that he speaks about. Um, It is only love that actually is going to last. And so the most important thing in all of our work here at Sanctuary in being a church and how do we uh, move forward into the kingdom and how do we do our work as a church, um, the most important thing that we should be focused on is how are we loving. How are we loving each other? How are we loving him and how are we loving each other?
1: Loving each other can be difficult Because there are people around us that can be really irritating from time to time. (laughs) And we've discovered it's really best that I not have any caffeine. Because when I have caffeine, people around me get incredibly irritating. Mm -hmm. And so it's just best that I stay away from it. One of my all-time favorite stories of our kids is uh, many, many years ago when Preston was little. And we walked in the family room and, and Preston was playing with these little Playmobil cowboys. And he had him set up on the fireplace. And oh gosh, he was maybe five years old. So he had him set up and he goes, Mom, Mom, look, here's the cowboys and here's the good guys and they're in town. And here's the bad guys and they're coming into town. And I went, Oh. So I went on, I was folding laundry and doing things. I came back a little bit later and he goes, Mom, you know what? The good guys told the bad guys about the Lord and they got saved. And now they all worship together. And that's the head bad guy playing the organ. Yeah.
0: Are we like incredible parents? I know. Or what? We were like... I mean, <laughs> sweet.
1: We are awesome. Yeah. The, the, the fact that he spent most of his life in church may have had something <laughs> to do with that. Um, so a number of years later, my boys are seven years apart in age. And so a number of years later, I walked in the same living room and I saw Spencer playing with the same set of cowboys and right in front of the fireplace. And so... Uh, He said, Mom, Mom, look, here's the town, and here's the good guys, and I have bad guys over here, and they're coming into town. And I went, ooh. And then I thought, oh, I remember Preston playing this. So I said, Spencer, honey, did you ever think if the good guys told the bad guys about the Lord, then they could all worship together and live in the town and be happy together? And Spencer looked at me for a long time, and he goes, Mom? it's easier to just shoot him. (laughs) Now, I will say he's grown up to be a wonderful adult. He does not shoot people. You know, he really is a great adult. (laughs) And Preston's a pastor. I mean, what can I say? We just saw it. But what Paul is saying to us here is shooting is not an option. (laughs) And neither is separating from people or dividing ourselves from people. Paul is telling us no matter how irritating they are, we are called to love.
0: Spencer brings so much joy to our life to this very day. You all know that Janice...
1: Spencer could successfully burp the entire alphabet at a very young age. (laughs) I was so proud.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Most of you know, if you know Janice and I much, we love to talk about love and marriage and relationships and, and all of that, and it's a... A wonderful thing, as a matter of fact, we really enjoy doing pre-engagement counseling and pre-marital counseling. We always say that, that if that's all we had to do, then we wouldn't need any couches in our office. All we need is just a little bit of an oversized chair because the engaged couple just pretty much like to sit on top of each other, you know, and <laughs> life is wonderful and life is a party and life is fabulous and beautiful. And so, um, the, uh, but we'll see in this chapter, as powerful as that kind of love is. Um, that it possibly is only a signpost of ultimately what um, Paul is talking about here. And so, if you could imagine the power of that initial chemistry that we have in those relationships, it's simply just a signpost of the love that, that is being talked about here. We have a, a bathroom that our kids have shared as they got older uh, at our room, at our house, and, and we have decorated it with the decor of Paris. And so, if you go in, we've got pictures in there that show little bistros and little cobblestone streets in Paris and bicycles up against a bakery and a sign that says Salle de Bain, which is important if you're in France. It's the bathroom. And so, um, and you know, little pictures, we've got a little Eiffel Tower sitting on the counter. And it is a beautiful, quaint little uh, bathroom. But we have been to Paris, we've walked the streets of Paris. And that bathroom is simply just a signpost um, that's pointing. It is. It is certainly not Paris. There's something well beyond what we've really experienced here. that Paul's talking about.
1: Mm-hmm. So let's take a look at our scripture in First Corinthians. Matter of fact, would you 13. do this?
0: Um, I know we usually just stand to read the gospel in honor of the gospel. But I, let's let's stand together as we would just um, as we read this. As Janice reads this, and just listen to these words. We've heard them before, but. Let's um, stop and listen for maybe some suddenlies.
1: If I speak in the tongues of mortals and of angels, but do not have love, I'm a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. And if I have prophetic powers and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have all faith so as to remove mountains, but do not have love, I am nothing. If I give away all my possessions, and if I hand my body so that I may boast, but do not have love, I gain nothing. Love is patient, love is kind, love is not envious or boastful or arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way, it is not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice in wrongdoing, but rejoices in the truth. It bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Love never ends, but as for prophecies, they will come to an end. As for tongues, they will cease. As for knowledge, it will come to an end. For we know only in part, and we prophesy only in part. But when the complete comes, the partial will come to an end. When I was a child, I spoke like a child. I thought like a child. I reasoned like a child. And when I became adult, I put an end to childish ways. For now we see in a mirror dimly, but then we shall see face to face. Now I know only in part— Then I will know fully, even as I have been fully known. And now faith, hope, and love abide, these three. And the greatest of these is love.
0: Thank you. You can be seated. In the beginning of a romantic love relationship, all of this stuff is really easy. We've noticed that. Uh, It's easy to be kind. It's easy, easy easy to defer. It's easy to forgive, it's easy to trust, all of those things are very easy. Um, But if if the relationship doesn't deepen beyond that, um, this physical and emotional chemistry is not going to cause a marriage to endure through the ages. It's more about a commitment of mind and will. It's a choice that we make. And as we make those kinds of choices, then love moves through all circumstances, Um, yet this feeling of love is almost always what we think about in our modern culture. Now, the interesting thing that we have found is when um, people do make a commitment of mind and will and love others that way, it produces wonderful feelings. So God blesses us with these amazing feelings that come, but they are a result of that commitment of mind and will
1: in our relationships with our coworkers and our friends and some of our family members if we wait for the warm mushy feelings to be loving towards them we're going to wait a long time we can't go on those feelings love really is a choice and love is an action cs lewis says it this way love is an action not a feeling do not waste time bothering whether you love your neighbor act as if you did As soon as we do this, we find one of the great secrets. When you are behaving as if you loved someone, you will presently come to love him. So when Paul is talking about the importance of love and that it's essential for this Christian life, what is he talking about? How is he saying that we should be doing this loving thing? We're going to be taking a look at verses 4 through 7, and we're going to look at what love looks like and three aspects of that that really stood out to us. So the first one is, what does this passage say about the character of God, of who God is? If we don't get this right, knowing who God is, nothing else could fall into place because all of our thoughts, all of our feelings, and all of our actions come out of our core beliefs. And if our core beliefs about God are not in the proper place, if it's not the proper perspective, we're not going to be able to love people in the way that we need to.
0: If your core sense of self, if your sense of what makes me a valuable person in life is based on what other people think of you or how well you perform, you're going to get in situations where you're in a business setting and you're with your boss and staff members, and your boss says something that actually embarrasses you or challenges you and puts you down, your natural reaction to that is you're going to get defensive. You're going to try to defend yourself in every possible way. Uh, you're going to leave that meeting, and you're probably going to talk bad about the boss. You're going to talk about how unfair they are, and, and uh, you're going to spread kind of bad thought about them. You're going to possibly even go into hyperdrive, and you're going to overwork and do everything that you possibly can to try to get back in the good graces Uh, of your boss. If you have this sense where you have been uniquely designed in the image of God, and because of that, he has designed you to be the only you on the planet, you're the only one that has your unique eye impression, you're the only you, and you reflect a unique part of God, and that's where you gain your sense of value, you can have the very exact thing happen. You get embarrassed, you get put down, and it doesn't mean that you're not going to have some... um, hurt feelings that might happen for a moment. But you're going to be able to choose to, to, to act in a way that is honoring, that is respectful. You're not going to um, do anything that's harmful to yourself or to your others. But it's about what it is you believe about yourself that determines the ultimate outcome there.
1: If your spouse does something that hurts your feelings and it really bothers you, If you are not convinced that you have your worth and your value in the deep love that God has for you, then it's very easy to take offense and to start kind of building up this list of wrongs and allow resentment to grow and bitterness to harbor. And that causes a separation in one of your most important relationships. But when we know that we have the love of God, it helps us deal with things that could potentially be offensive and to walk in love towards that person.
0: If you've got a person in the church that you are used to kind of hanging out with, and all of a sudden you walk by them, and they just they look the other way, and, and all of a sudden that group that you were kind of hanging with, they don't call you back any longer. And um, if, your, if your sense of self is not secure in who you are, your identity is not secure in who you are and who you've been designed to be in the image of God, you're going to go home and figure out, you're going to spend time figuring out why is it People don't like me anymore. What is it about them? You're gonna think bad thoughts of them. Again, that core sense of self will determine all of the outcome.
1: The first John passage says, God is love. So we could actually go back into the 1 Corinthians 13 to look at chapters 4 through 7, and we can read it a different way. You can simply substitute God for the word love. So we could say, God is patient, God is kind. God is not envious or boastful or arrogant or rude. God does not insist on his own way. God is not irritable or resentful. God does not rejoice in wrongdoing, but rejoices in the truth. God bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, and endures all things. This is how God is towards you. But it's also how he is towards that coworker that irritates you. He loves them totally, deeply, and completely. If we don't understand that, if we don't get that concept of, I am loved by God no matter what, then we're not going to be able to fully love people around us and to share his love with them because we're going to be working so hard to get their approval or to make sure that things are okay between the two of us. Henry Nouwen says, it was because Jesus was not dependent on people, but only on God, that he could be so close to people, concerned, so confronting, so healing, so caring. He, re- he related to people for their own sake, not his own. To say it in more psychological terms, he paid attention without intention. His question was not, how can I receive satisfaction, but how can I respond to your real need? This is possible only when there's a deeper satisfaction, a deeper intimacy from, which, from whence attention can be paid. Your love for others can be unconditional without a condition that your needs are gratified when you have the experience of being loved.
0: Secondly, how does this, this essence, this understanding of love reflect how we're doing? How, how does it speak to how we're, how we're loving right now? Bottom line is that that God's love for us is not dependent on our behavior. His love is fixed. Um, we we go up and down. We go off course. We come back. Um, that does not change His love for us. It's very clear to us. Now we all recognize we mess up. We blow it. We've taken wrong directions, um, but that doesn't change how He how he views us. Romans 8 is very clear about that, that nothing can separate us from the love of God. So if this is the love that we are trying to reflect to others, then our love for others should have nothing to do with their behavior. Uh, Whether they are acting right or not should have nothing to do with how we ultimately love them. So the litmus test for us living out this kind of love is, am I able to love them regardless of what they're doing? Um, whether they have been offensive, whether they have been neglectful, um, whether they have totally um, discounted me, whatever it is that they do, um, am I able to lean towards them um, with love?
1: And again, understanding that love has to come from a place deep within us. We have to know God loves me totally and completely. And what's so difficult with that is so many of us think we do know that. I mean, we could say, absolutely, God loves me totally and completely. And we think we think it until we hit a hard circumstance. And that's when your core beliefs about yourself, about God, all kinds of things are actually revealed. Many years ago, um, we struggled with infertility and miscarriages. And one of the most difficult times in our lives. We'd gone through this time, and finally we found out we were pregnant. My doctor was so sensitive, he would have me take a blood test every week, because back then they weren't using ultrasound much. And he had me take a blood test every week, so I could be convinced that the pregnancy was going okay. So we got to 10 weeks, and we got to 11 weeks, and we got to 12 weeks, and he was like, I'm going to have you do it one more week so you can feel totally fine. So we got to 13 weeks, and everything looked good. I was at 14 weeks, and we decided to start announcing it. And I was Working at ORU, and they announced it in chapel and said goodbye to me because I was leaving. And they gave me roses and said, "Thank you so much. We're so excited about your new baby." And Brent and I had planned a—we'd been saving for five years and planned a, or a trip to France for a ten-year anniversary. So this was perfect because I was going to be right in the right stage of the pregnancy, and it was all going great. And we had our trip, and my doctor said, "You know what? You're going to worry the whole time you're there." So before you go, I want you to come in, and we're going to do an ultrasound, which, again, was kind of unusual back then, because I want you to see this baby, and then you can go and not worry the entire time you're on the trip. So I was so excited. I went in to see him. Brent was at church. It was on a Wednesday night, and he was at church. And I just thought, I'll run in quick and do this ultrasound. And I went in, and there was no heartbeat. And I was devastated. All of this we'd planned. We thought this one finally worked. And I was devastated. And I went home that night, and I, I was in my living room, and I remember it like it was yesterday. And I'm like, I am not going to go to sleep until I have an answer for this, because this is wrong. I was angry. I was sad. It was like, my husband's a pastor for Pete's sake. I was women's chaplain at ORU. And to make it even harder, part of Brent's responsibilities, he was over a maternity home, a crisis pregnancy center, and an adoption agency. So we had 14-year-old girls having babies, and I couldn't at 29. So it was so painful, and that night I'm like, I'm just going to wrestle until I get an answer because I want an answer, God. I can't take this anymore. I want an answer. And I can't tell you what happened that night all I know is I wrestled and I cried and I prayed and I sang and I paced and I did all kinds of things. And somewhere in the middle of the night, something shifted in me. And all I can say is I suddenly knew that God is good, that he always has good for his children. It didn't give me any explanation. It still didn't seem fair. Still wasn't, it still wasn't what I would have chosen, but it changed something in me. To know that he's good and I can trust him. When we know he's good, when we know he loves us, then we can be loving to people around us. Then we can reach out because we're coming from a place of security. So the third or the final thing is, if we were going to look at love, how does it work out in practice? What does loving look like with the people around us? I think the first thing is loving means we value our differences. Everybody is not like you. There's going to be some people that you really do not understand how they think that way or why they act that way at all. But there's value in all of us being different and all of us being together as a team. And so it's learning to value those differences. Second one is seeing people with the eyes of mercy. People do dumb and very hurtful things. And it's difficult. But they do those things because of things that have been done to them or because of their deep wounds or their deep insecurities. We have to see them through eyes of mercy and realize they're all sinners desperately in need of love just like we are. They all have their own issues, just like we do. One time I had a client, and she had a lot of hurts and rejections in her life. She had a lot of things that were very, very difficult. And unfortunately, it had caused her to become extremely self-centered, extremely self-focused. And so everything that happened to her was a slight. So if she went into a movie theater, and there was a teenager texting they were interrupting her movie, and they were doing something to irritate her. Or if she was at the grocery store and somebody cut in line in front of her, it was like, oh, I get what they're up to. They're disrespecting me. So everything had this negative slant towards it that people were out to get her. And she was the kind of person that would say things like, I don't get mad, I get even, you know, that kind of thing. And, and it really caused her to be very lonely and in a lot of pain. And so one day we talked about, what if there was a different reason for why people were doing these things? What if they weren't doing them because they were out to get you or because they were being disrespectful towards you? So we said, let's take a look at the, the boy in the movie theater. What if instead of being disrespectful towards you, he just found out his mother was in the hospital and he was texting really fast because he wanted to find out where she was at and how he could get there. What if the person that cut in front of you in the grocery store just got fired and they're in a daze and they have no idea how they're going to survive without their job. Or maybe it's a mom that didn't sleep all night long with a sick kid, and she doesn't see what's going on with you. She's so busy trying to get where she needs to go. It has nothing to do with you. And we worked for weeks on all kinds of different scenarios. What if it's this instead of that? Now, we would laugh. We could come up with some bizarre ones. (laughs) We would come up with all kinds of things. But what happened was it changed her attitude It made her focus on other people and to say other people have hurts and other people have needs and it changed her attitude towards others and it gave her a peace within her that she didn't have to be so angry and so resentful all the time. The next one is we walk in forgiveness. People are going to misunderstand you. They're going to hurt you and sometimes people even betray us. God knows that. And he understands that. I remember one time praying, going, Lord, you don't know what it's like to have a close friend to betray you. It was like, <laughs> oh, <laughs> wait, yes, maybe you do. <laughs> but even when that happens, God calls us to love and forgive them anyway. Carrying the hurts and the wounds that have been inf- inflicted by other people in our lives is exhausting. It can take all your emotional energy if you allow yourself to focus on them and think about those things, it's okay to forgive people and to let it go, to release it into God's hands and say, I can't do anything about this anyway, God, and so I give it over to you. Now, it doesn't mean we stay in unhealthy relationships, and, you know, it doesn't even mean we have to be friends with those people. It just means I choose to forgive them and I choose to let go so I can have freedom. It's also okay to forgive yourself. You know, we remember things long after God has forgotten them. We have so many things, either that we have done wrong, that's an actual sin, or I've seen more than anything, people hold on to things that were embarrassing or that were stupid. Those kind of things that you're driving along in the car and you remember them and you go, oh, and you're embarrassed all by yourself and nobody else is there. You know, the blood of Jesus can cover our sins, but He can also cover our missteps, our embarrassing things, our stupid things that we did. We can let those go because that allows us to love ourselves and to love other people. So give yourself a break and love you too in the midst of loving. The next is wear others' opinions lightly. I have found this strange thing over the years there are people who don't like me. And that was very hard hard for me to to get over. But what I've learned with time is I don't have to tap dance around to get them to like me. And I don't even have to have arguments in my brain about why they should like me and what's wrong with them that they don't like me. I can let that go. So there's going to be people who don't like you, but we're called to love them anyway.
0: You know, we all would love to love each other, but it's hard. But we consider this love that we're talking about, this love that comes from heaven to us that we pass on to others, uh, sacramental. Sacramental simply means where heaven meets earth. In any sacramental moment, in any heaven meets earth moment, it's going to be messy. Jesus comes to earth. Heaven meets earth. It gets messy. He, get, he was rejected. Marriage, we see it every day. Marriage is this wonderful heaven-meets-earth potential experience, but it's messy. Uh, It's going to be challenging. If you develop a friendship here in this church, I guarantee you there will be some messiness with it. But we have to be willing to take the risk of messy. It's worth the risk of messy to be able to, to live out this most important thing that Paul speaks of. The very last words of 1 Corinthians 13 is it bears all things, love, bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. I wonder if we could say it this way. Love bears all things because love believes all these things about the nature of God, believes in the purity of God's love, and therefore hopes always in the potential for healing and restoration, for all brokenness. And through the power of love, is able to endure all things.
1: The thing that's echoed through my mind the last couple of years is what if we are here to be a healing presence to everyone that we're around? Aside from gifts, calls, anything else you want to see, what if our purpose is really to bring healing to everybody that we encounter? What would that look like? We can only do that when we've let go of hurts and resentments, when we've become convinced that God loves me completely and I can get my affirmation from him. I don't have to get it from other people. Then we can look at people differently and go, what can I do in this situation that will bring hope? What can I do here that might be healing to this particular person? It gets us outside of us and it helps us look towards other people and look for ways that we can bring hope and healing in, our, in other people's lives. I, I think that's what the love chapter is all about, bringing that hope and healing to other people. So a couple months ago, I wrote a poem to remind... A poem? No, I didn't.
0: I went, wow, really? I wrote a
1: song. No, I didn't. Yeah. <coughs> My latest CD will be coming out now. Um, <laughs> I wrote a prayer. That's what it is. And if you want it to be a poem or if you guys want to turn it into a song, that's fine, too. It's up to you. But um, anyway, I wrote a prayer to remind me as I start my day what I'm supposed to be doing with my day. So let me read it to you. I felt very risky in putting this out there because it's very private, but Brent said I had to. Um, <laughs> I mean, yes. Yes. Today, I choose to let go of hurts, slights, wounds, and betrayal. I will walk in love towards everyone around me, and I will choose to be a healing presence to everyone I encounter. When I see injustice being done to myself or others, I will seek the guidance of the Holy Spirit to see what my call or responsibility is to rescue, heal, or mend in this setting. I will accept the things he has not called me to step into and pray for those he has called in the breach. I will walk courageously into the things he has called me to do, even if it means pain, rejection, and judgment by others. I will die to myself and my image and my reputation if it's for the sake of the gospel. I choose to forgive, to seek the best for everyone around me, to bring hope and a sense of peace to every situation I encounter. I lay down my rights and my expectations in the belief that God is my protector, provider, and refuge. I will trust where he is leading me today.
0: Why don't you stand this morning? I just thought it might be appropriate if that prayer resonates in your spirit um, that we might just pray that together uh, before we come to the table. So let's pray once more. Today, I choose to let go of hurts, slights, wounds, and betrayal. I will walk in love toward everyone around me, and I will choose to be a healing presence to everyone I encounter. When I see injustice being done to myself or others, I will seek the guidance of the Holy Spirit to see what my call or responsibility is to rescue, heal, or mend in this setting. I will accept the things that he has not called me to step into and pray for those he has called in the breach. I will walk courageously into the things he has called me to do, even if it means pain, rejection, and judgment by others. I will die to myself and my image and reputation if it is for the sake of the gospel. I choose to forgive, to seek the best for everyone around me to bring hope and a sense of peace to every situation I encounter. I lay down my rights and my expectations in the belief that God is my protector, provider, and refuge. I will trust where He is leading me today. If our service would come this morning. Thanks for listening to this message from Sanctuary Church. If you're in the Tulsa area, we invite you to attend one of our weekend services on Sundays at 8.30 a.m., 10 a.m., or 1130 a.m. If you would like more information about who we are and what we're about, or to partner financially with what God is doing through Sanctuary, you can go to our website at SanctuaryTulsa.com. You can also download our mobile app from
1: the App Store and Google Play. We hope you'll join us next week. Grace and peace.